Welcome to Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Here's your host, Amanda Galbraith. Good afternoon. I'm Chris Holsky filling in for Amanda Galbraith. She's now off on mat leave. Preemptive congratulations. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. If you're getting started with us today, that's phenomenal. Maybe you're sitting at work still. Maybe you're on the road. At this point, maybe you've been lucky to get away. A couple of things that I'm thankful for this weekend, the fact that I have a roof over my head, that the lights are still on, because many people in Atlantic Canada still have neither of those things, close to two weeks after Hurricane Fiona hit. And here's a special tip for you. If everything is okay and everything is well, but you are alone for Thanksgiving this year, what you can do is you can take this show, you can fire it up on the iHeartRadio app sometimes Sunday night or Monday night, And you can have some passionate conversation happening without the pretense of having to pretend that you love the people who are at the table with you. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. I am Chris Holsky. On the line, we've got political strategist and former Deputy Chief of Staff to Finance Minister Bill Morneau, Sharon Carr. Good afternoon, Sharon. Hello. Hi there. And the host of the Jerry Agar Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on News Talk 1010 in Toronto, Jerry Agar, of course. How's it going, Jerry? Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. All right, here we go. The most talked about subject in Canada this week has been, well, it's national pastime, hockey, Hockey Canada. Its board chairs, past and present, played defense on Tuesday under questioning by the Commons Committee on Canadian Heritage. MPs grilled representatives from the sports governing body about its handling of alleged sexual assaults and how money was paid out in lawsuits. Interim Hockey Canada chair Andrea Skinner was asked why the agency's president and chief executive officer has not been removed. Our board, frankly, does not share the view that senior leadership should be replaced on the basis of what we consider to be substantial misinformation and an unduly cynical attacks. You know, I appreciate that others disagree with us, but our positions are based on the information that we have and an understanding that Hockey Canada has an excellent reputation. Skinner said toxic behavior goes well beyond hockey. Suggesting that toxic behavior is somehow a specific hockey problem or to scapegoat hockey as a centerpiece for toxic culture is, in my opinion, counterproductive to finding solutions and risks overlooking the change that needs to be made more broadly to prevent and address toxic behavior, particularly against women. And then this happened. I think that there is a significant risk to the organization if all of the board resigns and all of senior leadership is no longer there. I think that will be very impactful in a negative way to our boys and girls who are playing hockey. Will the light stay on on the rink? I don't know. We can't predict that. That is people asking whether that's a veiled threat. Skinner also testified she didn't know how much money the organization is committed to paying crisis management firm Navigator. Yesterday, Prime Minister Trudeau said it's inconceivable that Hockey Canada continues to defend its leaders. It's not like there's something extraordinarily special about the people at Hockey Canada that means they are the only people in the country that can run an organization like this. There's lots of people who could run it, and unfortunately, the total loss of faith in that organization by everyone uh, means that there is, it's nonsensical that they be digging in their heels on this one. With major sponsors heading out the door over the last 48 hours, big ones, Canadian Tire, Tim Hortons, tell us, at least for the men's program, there is word an emergency meeting was held at Hockey Canada. The question is what they talked about. Was it drafting a plan to leave or drafting a plan for more self-preservation? Is it game over for Hockey Canada? And are we talking about removing the top or starting from scratch? Starting with you, Sharon, what needs to happen next here? 
Oh, God, someone needs to burn that house down. Andrea Skinner's testimony this week was absolutely horrendous. That whoever prepped her for comms, oh, my goodness. I, I, I can't even fathom that she thought that her tone, her tenor was okay. I personally think that Hockey Canada needs to be burnt down to the ground and rebuilt maybe a different organization, but every single person in a position of power, anyone who's been there, and anyone, quite frankly, who is digging their heels in like Andrea should get the boot out. It just, like, this is comms, like, what not to do in comms 101 right here. Jerry, is it too late to save Hockey Canada, or as it exists right now, is it salvageable? Well, it's only salvageable if uh, we get rid of the people at the top. I wouldn't even go so far as to give Miss Skinner some kind of credit by saying who prepped her for this. I don't think anybody preps you to be that out of tune and clueless. I think you do that on your own. I mean, she just doesn't get what's going on here. It's uh, in a rare agreement uh, on the part of me with the Prime Minister. He's right uh, that it's just outrageous for them to suggest that they are the only people who can run Hockey Canada. It's Canada. Canadians understand hockey. We can find lots of smart people to do that. And then she piles on with her yeah, but argument where, well, you know, toxic culture is other places, too. We're not worried about other places. We sh- well, yes, we are. But right now, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what you people have done. And then, you know, and who's going to keep the lights on? I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, Hockey Canada can survive either under a different name or as an entity because hockey will survive in Canada. People want it to. They want their little kids to play. They want to cheer for Team Canada. All of that kind of thing. All that needs to be done is that this group of people needs to completely re- be removed and bring in some really smart people who are unimpeachable in the fact that they're not responsible for anything happened in the past and they can clean it up. Well, here we are now, and we're talking about a situation where major sponsors are out the door. And typically when you get into big money, that's when you do see a level of change. It's happened in other sports before with something as simple as the Washington football team's name. Once uh, money started to disappear, Finally, they became the Washington football team and the commanders. And now we are seeing major sponsors saying goodbye, but nothing is changing, at least not yet. Maybe it does in the next little while. Sharon, what is it going to take? I think we're going to see it change eventually. There's no way that this is sustainable. I think that if the board and members of the executive of Hockey Canada can't read the room or how people feel, then quite frankly, there's a bigger issue over there. But I, I personally think that the... Prime Minister was extremely strong. The minister was extremely strong. And uh, the fact that all these corporations are now pulling out is it's a really big indication that Canadians and corporate Canada and the government has lost faith in Hockey Canada. And for the sake of the sport, for the sake of the kids, for the sake of everyone, they just need to disappear and shut down. Jerry, can you believe it's, it's taking this long? You know, an interesting thing happened the other day. I had a lady on my show who founded an organization of hockey moms, has 40,000 members, and she was speaking on this issue on my show. And toward the end, I said to her, on a scale of 1 to 10, how angry are your members? And she said something really great. She said, at the beginning, maybe four or five. Now we're up to eight or nine. And that just shows how out of tune Hockey Canada is. People were upset when they heard what had happened. Had the people in leadership taken a real actual leadership position, which sometimes is just fall on the sword and take complete blame and don't make any excuses, make a whole lot of apologies and show that you're turning a corner and fixing it, I don't think that that outrage would have gotten above a five. We'd just say this 
is horrible. This happened, and hopefully we're now on the right track. But when, when you get the kind of um, you can't call it leadership. I mean, these people are just completely clueless and out of tune. And now the anger has ramped up. The dropout on the sponsorship. They're going to end up with no income at all. So I don't know how these people think they're going to get paid if they won't leave. And my question, which I haven't found the answer to yet, is: Isn't there somebody that can fire them? I mean, could the prime minister do that? Speaking of the prime minister, reports came out that in 2019, the federal government was informed about the National Equity Fund used for unlicensed liabilities, including sexual abuse claims. Jerry, are you surprised that that this seems to have slid off the back of the federal government so far? Well, it, it's, uh, you know, somebody said to me this morning, um, this, you know, this is not what uh, organizations do, this sort of cover up and let's not uh, have anybody know what's going on here. We don't want to damage the brand. That's exactly what organizations do. I mean, the Catholic Church had this problem. Uh, various uh, com- um, companies will have this problem. Ever since Nixon, you'd think people would have got the message that it's the cover up that really does you in. and But apparently they haven't. And uh, it they aren't going to get it. That's why, that's why the people at the top of Hockey Canada have to go. They're not going to get it. Well, this story has been rapidly evolving throughout the course of the last week. And with that meeting last night, honestly, who knows what could change over the course of this day? Maybe there is something that happens that's impactful over the course of this holiday weekend. Alberta is gearing up for a fight with the federal government. But it's not the only province that keeps raising questions at Parliament Hill notwithstanding. How will the Trudeau Liberals handle the new Premier out West and the renewed Premier in a landslide in Quebec? I'm Chris Holsky, joined by Sharon Carr and Jerry Igar. This is Free For All Friday on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. This is Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Good afternoon. I'm Chris Holsky from the nation's capital filling in for Amanda, joined by political strategist Sharon Carr and from News Talk 1010, Jerry Agar. Happy Thanksgiving. If the prime minister was to sit down at the Thanksgiving table with the premiers right now, including a brand spanking new one, how would it go? Danielle Smith is the new premier of Alberta. Smith captured nearly 54% in the sixth ballot of the United Conservative Party's leadership race last night. In her victory speech in Calgary, Smith said it's time for Alberta to be a senior partner in building a strong Canada. No longer will Alberta ask permission from Ottawa to be prosperous and free. We will not have our voices silenced and censored. We will not be told what we must put in our bodies in order to work or to travel. Smith continued to take aim at the federal government, which I guess was par for the course for every person vying for the leadership. Albertans, not Ottawa, will chart our own destiny on our own terms, and we will work with our fellow Canadians to build the most free and prosperous country on earth. This wasn't the only big political win this week. Coalition Avenir Quebec leader Francois Legault promised to govern for all Quebecers as his party was re-elected in a landslide. Legault frequently campaigned on protecting the French language and values, but spoke directly to English-speaking Quebecers in his victory speech. When I say that Quebecers form a great nation, I mean all Quebecers, from all regions, of all ages, 
of all origins. I'm going to be the premier of all Quebec. Legault is not necessarily openly provoking the federal government to the same degree as Alberta is now. I think you could actually say that for sure. But the words notwithstanding clause have been heard in Quebec a few times. The federal government gets asked regularly about its response to Bill 21 and Bill 96. Which province is posing a bigger challenge for Parliament Hill right now? And which one do you believe will be the top priority in Ottawa? Sharon. Well, I would say in, in the immediate future, I think Alberta definitely is gonna is gonna be a bit of a thorn in in Prime Minister Trudeau's, I would say, decision making process. We listen. Quebec's always had its had its issues, but the tone and tenor that we're getting out of Danielle Smith and what she's hoping to do with Alberta, this whole Alberta first, I get that, but she's completely missing the point on how the judicial system works. She's completely missing the point on how a federation works. And she's what she's done is she's tapped into people's grievances and is using that as a form of, I would say, invigorating folks. She didn't run against Rachel Notley or anyone else. She is she ran her campaign against Justin Trudeau. And the first minister's mean is going to be, I would say, a very dysfunctional family feud coming coming at you real soon. Well, we're looking at a likely a, a series of court challenges from Alberta. However, you're talking about a province where the Liberals, well, I don't think they're going to suddenly see a surge in seats if they try to campaign there. Not at the moment. Quebec, meanwhile, you have Justin Trudeau continually tiptoeing around some of the issues, which again makes me think that perhaps that could be treated as a bigger priority. So again, Jerry, I pose the question to you. Who's posing a bigger challenge for Parliament Hill right now? And which one do you believe will be the top priority? Well, there's no priority in Justin Trudeau's mind for Alberta at all. That's the whole issue here. Um, Quebec, in fact, is a major priority for Justin Trudeau, and and Alberta is just a source of revenue. I, I mean, uh, don't discount the sense of dissatisfaction on the prairies, and maybe particularly Alberta, that exists there. I'm not as big a fan as Daniel Smith uh, as I used to be when she walked away from the Wild Rose because she saw another opportunity for herself. It's sort of like she went to the dance with one guy and left with another, and, and and uh, so I lost some respect for her there. But I understand what she's tapping into. At what point has Justin Trudeau shown that he cares about uh, Alberta at all? I champion a province that wants to say we need to take more control of our own affairs. And, and I do that in part because, to be honest here and fair, I believe in that sort of thing anyway. I think there's too much centralized control in Ottawa. And I think there's too much in the capitals of each province. The, you know, the, famously, the mayor of Toronto said a few years ago, I shouldn't have to go and short pants to Queen's Park in Ontario uh, in order to get something done. And I think that that goes all the way up the political stream. But uh, if, if uh, Justin Trudeau thinks Alberta isn't going to give him trouble, he's wrong. Sharon, what do you think are Danielle Smith's uh, election chances in the next go around in Alberta? Oh, dear. Um, listen, Alberta is a really tricky one. I, I would hope I personally, for the sake of Alberta, hope that it does not necessarily go well for her because I do think that Alberta deserves better than complete rhetoric for this stuff. But um, listen, I we, if, if the past is any sign of the future, I think that she she might come in. But I think the real election is going to be between when it's between her and Rachel Notley. I think that's when people are really going to tap into it. Right now, she's tapping into the conservative base. She's not tapping into the Alberta base. It's purely the conservative base out there. So I would like to see what happens in a general election. Does Alberta deserve better than Justin Trudeau? Well, as a former Trudeau, I would say administration staffer. I think there's listen. I think there's a lot of 
hiccups that have happened in the past when it comes to dealing with Alberta. And I think that there's some grievances there that Ottawa should definitely consider. But I don't think it's an Alberta versus Ottawa war. I think it should be like, how can we talking about taking Alberta into the Sovereignty Act? Like, that's not what businesses need. Like what we need is for Alberta to be taken seriously. But we also need for Alberta to be reasonable in what they're saying and what they want to do. Uh, like I listen, I was back in the day in Ottawa when we purchased TMX and having dealt with a lot of folks and even personally in my private career working out in Alberta, I know that Alberta has a lot to offer. I just think that the rhetoric has gotten in the way and everyone is just angry at each other. We just need a really big group therapy session between Ottawa and Alberta to hash it out. But I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon with Danielle Smith at the helm. Do you think it's even possible with Justin Trudeau at the helm though? I I think that there's some past grievances that Alberta has with the Trudeau name as well. So I don't necessarily think so. If it's, if it's Danielle Smith and Justin Trudeau, I, I don't see there being a positive relationship, to be honest, just based on what we've seen so far. But that's a, that's a bigger issue that they're going to have to deal with. Well, and Trudeau may not care how many liberals got yeah. uh, elected there last time around. Exactly. It's, it's, it's likely not going to be a priority for him. Um, I've always been of the view that Alberta is a really important part of Canada and you have to make the effort. Even if you don't have seats there, there's so much that you need to do to help Alberta. But it's uh, we got to put the politics aside and try to find a way to mend this mend this bridge that's kind of been broken for years now. I want to quickly get your thoughts on Quebec. Uh, now that we have a stronger mandate for France a while ago, suppose you speak English in that province. Suppose you wear a religious symbol in that province. Should you be concerned? Sherry? We may have lost Sharon. Oh, did you, I thought you said Jerry. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> Sorry, okay. I, I would I would say there's listen. There's always going to be a concern with this tone that Quebec always says. Like I think during the campaign, was it um, Legault who had said that a certain percentage of immigration would be like suicide for the province and like stuff like that is not helpful. It's we know what Quebec is always Quebec first. Uh, like some provinces are now turning into, but I, I would be concerned. Like I would be concerned as someone who's a person of color. Like what does that mean? It's I don't agree with what his stance on religious symbols and all that stuff, but. I think that Francois Legault's got, he's got an opportunity to maybe turn the page on this a little bit to make it seem, or at least let Quebecers know that this is more than about the French language. This is more than protecting their French nationalism or their Quebec nationalism. But it, it like, it's not okay. The whole not allow, allowing people to wear their religious symbols or attire and stuff like that, like, it's not okay. And it's kind of going against people's freedom in Canada in general. So I'm not a fan of that stuff, and I'll always call it out, but it seems that, unfortunately, Quebecers have an appetite for it. Jerry, 30, 30 seconds. When Francois Legault promises to govern for all Quebecers, do you believe him? No, I don't believe any politician when they say that. I, I mean, they they have a base, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and you can't possibly do it anyway, because not all Quebecers are of one mind. Not all Albertans and Canadians are of one mind. It's, it's impossible to do. We'll see whether or not we have any food flinging back and forth, if there is a figurative Thanksgiving dinner between the provinces and our federal leadership going forward. Danielle Smith, the new leader of the UCP and therefore the new leader of the province of Alberta, and Francois Legault sweeping to victory 90 seats now in the Quebec legislature. And the question, of course, is what happens next in both provinces, provinces I should say, and how does it affect the federal government here in Ottawa, where I'm sitting right now? So how do you feel about slapping another 2.4% on anything you buy with a credit card? It can happen in Canada now. We'll yell, da 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 charge next. This is Free For All Friday. I'm Chris Holsky. We're Sharon Carr, Jerry Agar.
The free-for-all Friday roundtable continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Good afternoon. I'm Chris Holsky filling in for Amanda Galbraith, who is now on maternity leave again. Preemptive congratulations. Joining me this afternoon, political strategist and former Deputy Chief of Staff to Finance Minister Bill Morneau, Sharon Carr, and the host of the Jerry Agar Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on News Talk 1010 in Toronto, Jerry Agar. We've seen the price of gas creeping back up. Bad news, of course, if you're doing any traveling for this Thanksgiving weekend. And those modest declines in inflation that we saw in the last couple of months, don't forget, it's still very high. A lower price of gas is being credited for that, despite the price of groceries not really joining in. Now that the price of gas keeps going back up, a lot of other things do too. And it's not just your bills. It's the cost of running a business. Help is on the way. But it's complicated. Starting yesterday, businesses in Canada became able to pass credit card fees on to their customers. The change is the result of a multi-million dollar class action settlement involving Visa and MasterCard over what are known as interchange or swipe fees. The money credit card companies, banks and payment processors collect from merchants with every transaction, every time you tap, every time you swipe. Ross Valenta helps manage his family's maple syrup sales, but knows families might sour if they have to pay a surcharge. Most of my transactions would be by credit card now. So getting an extra 1.64% would be nice, but if I'm going to lose 10% of my sales over that, um, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really add up. And we're talking about a 2.4% surcharge here. While some retail shops are hesitant, one large company, TELUS, has announced it will start charging a fee for paying by credit. This is the part where I disclose that we are owned by Bell. Bell Media is a subsidiary of Bell. Here's what Dan Kelly, president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, told CTV. I would imagine, say, if you're paying your insurance premiums for $1,000 on your car, uh, your insurance broker might might suggest a fee if you're going to pay by, by credit. Now, regardless of any call for action from federal opposition, these charges could appear on your bill today. And I'll start with a general question. Is it fair for a business to add this surcharge, given what everything that's going on right now? Jerry. Well, I don't know what you mean by fair. I mean, they're a business. They can do whatever they want. And I don't know how this would, and then they take the consequences, as the syrup guy talked about. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know how this would apply to me paying my car insurance or my motorcycle insurance or something. But just in general retail, my first question would be, is Amazon going to charge this? Because that's who you're competing with. Um, and, you know, people, especially during the pandemic, got awfully used to doing that. So um, if I, I, I want to support the brick-and-mortar stores, the downtown town stores, the stores that advertise with us and, and all of that kind of thing. But I can run around all Saturday afternoon trying to find something and then pay an extra credit card fee, or I can go online. And, and that, those are the considerations businesses are going to have to make. They can do whatever they want. And I know businesses are suffering, but so are the rest of us. So um, we're all going to do what's best for ourselves, I guess. Yeah, and competition, of course, is something that factors into a decision whether you're going to apply this surcharge. But given that we have many people in this country now, a growing number who are putting even essentials on their credit card, is, is this something that, that it seems fair for a business to ask for, Sharon? Well, again, I think, is it fair or not, is, is challenging because we're, we're kind of in a place where someone's getting impacted, whether it's the big guys or the little guys. Interchange has always been an issue in, in, in Ottawa in terms of how credit card companies apply this. I just think it's it's adding fuel to fire. It's adding a little bit of I would say burn to what people are already feeling right now. And unfortunately, 
it's going to pass down to people. It's going to make people angry. It's going to become a bigger issue. Uh, but at this point, like like Jerry said, like it's if Amazon's not doing it, like people are going to go with what's more convenient for them. And it's just the timing of this is probably really horrible for everyone. I want to go back to the price of gas. Uh, what's the last uh, What's the last uh, tank of gas uh, cost you, Jerry? Well, it wasn't that much because I bought it in the United States. <laughs> um, you know, where they don't have an outrageous carbon tax and uh, gasoline is cheaper anyway. I mean, I was getting it in the neighborhood of $4 a gallon. You work out that that out to a per liter price and even with the exchange and everything, I think uh, on, the, on the one that I did, it worked out to about a dollar a liter. And so, uh, but here, um, I think it was around uh, $1.50 or something like that, $1.57. But I, but I managed to fill up just before we had this overnight increase of Ten cents. Um, the the problem is when these kinds of things happen, you you either benefit or uh, get hit by um, sort of one tank. Um, you know, you might save because you you filled up before it went up ten cents, but uh, unfortunately, it's going to be more than ten cents by the time you need gas again. I mean, people feel real helpless in this. The only thing that could happen is that uh, we stop this silliness of the carbon tax. If you want to talk about gasoline and the price of everything else, carbon tax is something government could do. Justin. Trudeau not only won't take that off the cost of gasoline, which would lower the price of everything, including your groceries. Uh, in fact, he decides now he's going to continue to pile on. Sharon, is it time for more federal intervention in this? Well, I, I hear where Jerry's coming from on the carbon price that the government or the carbon tax government has put. But I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that it's less than 14 cents right now. Um, and, and listen, that is a lot for a lot of people. But it's. I don't think that's going to be consequential in, in in all of it. I think the government needs to do a lot more than they're doing right now on the issue of affordability in general. Um, and everything is tied in. Like gas prices are higher, food prices are higher, everything is higher. So I, I do think there needs to be. Well, the one thing they can do is probably limit some spending, uh, which they don't really seem to have the appetite for doing right now. But the, that that to me would be the best thing they can do beyond any policy measure they could do to make life more affordable to people. You don't think 14 cents is significant? No, I don't think 14 cents is not significant. I think that in when gas prices are hitting like 190 or 180 and stuff like that, it's sure 14 cents might be significant to a lot of people. But in the greater scheme of things of what they're trying to do with the environment and all that, I think that it's a price that we have to pay. But I can totally appreciate that that 14 cents can be a huge, huge, I would say, issue for a lot of Canadians. So it's like... There, there's no right answer really at this point because I think people are struggling. Sure, there's a right answer. Take the carbon tax off the gasoline. It isn't just the gasoline. It's it's another reason that uh, everything else is so expensive. There's a saying that if you bought it, a truck brought it, and uh, that truck is passing that uh, cost along. And in terms of the environment, Canada could go back to Stone Age farming, and we wouldn't change global warming across the planet. We're not the problem, and yet we're shooting Canadians in the head as if they are the problem. Maybe 14 cents per liter can help pay off a credit card debt. Surcharge on on two point four percent. Now here we are right now, and uh, we are talking about a Thanksgiving holiday. It is a big travel week. Is, have either of you altered your travel plans for Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving, or for your meal plans? In fact, because of what is happening due to inflation, Sharon. Listen, I I, I can totally acknowledge that a lot of us might be a bit more privileged in life to whether or not we have to or not. I personally. 
am not making any huge changes, but I'm also not doing anything crazy for Thanksgiving. But I do see, and I, I've been reading a lot of people who are making, who are having to pull the purse strings a bit. So um, it's going to be a tough Thanksgiving for folks. But uh, for me personally, I think that I'm going to stick to my low-key Thanksgiving as usual. Jerry, you filled up in the United States. Did you buy food down there too? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I, did, I didn't. Trader Joe's. Out. It was at Trader Joe's. Yeah, I should have gone to Trader Joe's and got some turkeys and brought them home for the, the, for the whole family and handed them out to my siblings or their kids. Uh, but I didn't do that, and I'm in the same position as Sharon, Sharon says. I mean, the, my my complaint about all of this stuff is not sort of the typical I don't like Trudeau, so here's a chance to take a shot at him. I, because if I want to go somewhere for Thanksgiving, it turns out I'm going to have a low-key Thanksgiving, but I traveled last weekend. I This, this hits everybody, but it doesn't hit me the same way it hits low-income people. And it's just I don't get why this this current government doesn't give a damn about poor people and they're supposed to be the party of poor people and they're not it it just shocks me that they're getting away with it apparently all right we've already gotten a bit of an inside look at the thanksgiving tables of some highly opinionated individuals i'm going to say i think you know who they are at this point Uh, we are going to get an even deeper look about what may happen around the table and also i want to bring up this score hamilton nine ottawa seven is it a terrible CFL game, an excellent OHL game, or something else? A hint. It is something else. I'm Chris Holsky. You're listening to Free for All Friday, joined by political strategist and former Deputy Chief of Staff to Finance Minister Bill Morneau, Sharon Carr, and the host of the Jerry Agar Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on News Talk 1010 in Toronto. Jerry Agar, Thanksgiving and some festivities that don't actually have to do with Thanksgiving, maybe more of a homecoming. That's next. You're listening to Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. I'm Chris Holsky filling in for Amanda. It is our last chance to talk turkey on this week's edition of Free For All Friday. Run by political strategist Sharon Carr and the host of the Jerry Agar Show on News Talk 1010, Jerry Agar. Hamilton 9, Ottawa 7. Is it the score of a terrible CFL game? An awesome OHL game? Actually, it's the number of arrests tallied up by police in each city during student parties last weekend. There were issues at Dalhousie in Atlantic Canada as well. Here in the capital, the future of the locally hyped football panda game between U Ottawa and Carleton University is in question after more incidents in a student neighborhood last weekend. Thousands of students packing downtown streets for unsanctioned parties. In a statement Sunday afternoon, Ottawa police called the partying that followed the annual football game, and it's a great game, honestly, between U Ottawa and Carleton, unnecessary and unacceptable. However, the president of the U Ottawa Student Union believes cancelling the Panda game would be futile. Armin Singh acknowledges a lot of action needs to be taken, but he told News Talk 580 CFRA, when universities cancel homecoming events, students simply organize their own large, rowdy parties proposes more preventative measures instead of an end to the football game. Maybe having specific exemptions in terms of bylaw, because we know that a lot of students are going to want to party. We might as well have them partying indoors so that there are less students on the streets and not enforcing fines like related to noise, for example. 
Another would be, you know, there's a lot of fines because people were using the bathroom outside. You know, having portable toilets there so people aren't vandalizing people's property. Singh believes efforts to subdue student parties are not productive, in fact. The increased police presence was not productive at all and was, was not fruitful as it actually further intimidated students and actually escalated a lot of situations. So Action Sandy Hill, that's the neighborhood we're talking about, the chair, Louise Lapointe responded to the idea the panda game after parties should be embraced. I would like to know where he lives because, to me, that's not behavior that's acceptable under any condition in any residential area, period. It's terrifying. It's like you had people going, patrolling the neighborhood in groups, looking for a party. Now, it's not just Ottawa that has seen rowdy street parties. Dalhousie University's homecoming saw some violent and destructive behavior, as well as at McMaster University in Hamilton. We've all been removed from university environments for some time, I do believe, at least the student side. Is your perception that these parties are getting too rowdy, or have neighbors become less tolerant? We'll start with you, Jerry. Well, you know, I tried to characterize myself as the head of a university or the mayor of a town and thought, how can I solve this? And I don't think it's easy. There's no snappy, easy answer to this. But I also see problems coming from both sides. I mean, I was young once, so I know that it's true that the young and stupid is a thing. Um, and, and so you got that on the one hand. And, but then on the other hand, I think we push too hard from the other side. Like I look at what happened. Uh, Ottawa police say 102 tickets for open alcohol were issued. Why are we so hung up on this puritanical idea that somebody can't drink a beer while they're standing in the great outdoors? I, you know, a lot of those tickets were unnecessary. And when you pass that ticket out and then you, you, you take that toward young and stupid, some of those people are going to get belligerent because they don't think they should get a ticket. And then they act on inappropriately or inappropriately so you, you set up a situation with pressure from both sides where it's going to explode to some degree i think the best idea that I've, I've heard is to find some designated party zone and see if you can get it there because i also understand that i wouldn't necessarily want six thousand people having a party on my street i get that because it's almost like property damage is inevitable that kind of thing so uh, first of all i wouldn't try to effect a situation where the parties don't happen because you just can't do that um so try to find some way to find some place maybe where it can happen and then just let people have a good time well clearly ottawa is extra sensitive when it comes to people gathering in in the streets since february but even still ottawa is not ann arbor michigan it's not columbus ohio not these major no ann arbor michigan is fun yeah (laughs) that you see in the united (laughs) states do you do you agree with jerry sharon that that some kind of balance can be struck here yeah listen i think this is predominantly a bit of a after effect of COVID and people being on lockdown for for so many years now and not having homecoming or having these types of parties. And I think kids, for the most part, or students, um, we were all we were all university age students at some point, either long or a short period ago. And I think they just want to have fun. And I think people who've been locked inside for for the last couple of years are just trying to like really catch up on all their party. And that being said, like, this is not the freedom convoy, guys. Like, I, it, I, if, if we set some parameters, like, treat them like adults, set some parameters where it's like none of this shady behavior will be tolerated, but you guys can gather and, and do your thing. Like, anyone who lives in a university town is well aware of what homecoming and stuff looks like. So to me, it just seems like people in the community are just complaining because they haven't had to deal with this for a while. It feels like the students are going kind of rowdy. We've all been young and dumb at some point. So I would say, like, let them do it, but also to all the students out there, like, 
don't go crazy. Don't vandalize things. Don't burn things. Don't pee on people's property. Like be civilized because you're going to be your worst nightmare in here. But uh, it's a, Let's just find a balance. All right. Ultimately, uh, in fact, in Ottawa this year was less rowdy than what happened the year before, where there was more property damage, including a car that was turned over. It seemed to be a bit more calm. But if you live in one of these neighborhoods, you may not necessarily have the same opinion. Speaking of calm. Penalize those people people who flip cars and stuff like that. You want to make a point, penalize them. Yeah. yeah, and then go to Ann Arbor, learn how to do this, and go to Zingerman's. <laughs> it's a great deli. Oh, oh, what's the best sandwich there? Well, um, I, I guess the smoked meat sandwich. Oh, I mean, come on. Come on. That's just like with apologies to people in Montreal right now. I actually have a hankering for, for Schwartz's or a smoked meat Pete. Uh, speaking of food right now, gathering around the Thanksgiving table this weekend, and pretty clear we have some highly opinionated individuals on the show right now. When it comes to Thanksgiving, or really any holiday gathering just to you know expand the horizons here uh how political the conversations get around your table at home during the holidays sharon oh boy so since leaving politics a few years ago i think that it's it's chilled out a bit but um there are times that they can get kind of heated there are times in in my home specifically there have been times where um i'll feel feel the need to to kind of defend a position or anything like that. But having been out of it for now almost three years, I think that um, I'd like to focus on my Thanksgiving dinner on pop culture. I'd much rather talk about what's happening in the world than what's happening in Ottawa. Jerry, do politics invade the Thanksgiving or even Christmas dinner table? No, um, we came to an agreement. I mean, it's not a problem with uh, with my wife and my kids. I mean, uh, it was never a problem there. It did become a serious problem for a little while because uh, my brother and I are conservative and our sisters are wrong. Uh, and so uh, ra- rather, you know, ra- rather than have that be part of Thanksgiving, I mean, we really always have a really good time together, uh, our family, if we just keep the politics out of it. And that's not very hard to do. I mean, there's so many other things. I mean, right now, why can't we just talk about the Blue Jays, you know, like that's because um, like we're only two hours away from a really big deal going on here uh, with the Blue Jays. So there's so many other things to talk about. It's just leave the politics out of it. I got all my yayas out during the show anyway, so I don't need to weigh in again. <laughs> oh, man. Fair being fair, I've got a very small family and usually it just ends up being my father and I pushing in the same direction as we uh, make a pizza. Uh, the pizza requires at least six beer in the recipe. Uh, none of the beer actually make it into the pizza, however. I want to thank Perfect both. recipe. I know, it's great, isn't it? I want to thank both Sharon Carr and Jerry Agar. I want to thank all of you for uh, joining me on my maiden voyage on Free For All Friday. I'm Chris Holsky, filling in for Amanda Galbraith. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network.